When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rock and uh, gosh, what's the other one? Veep. They both remind me of early 2010s, a time in American culture when there's a certain level of like optimism and before the last six years, essentially. Do you know what I'm saying? The last six years? I mean, what, what was unusual about those, right? Oh, oh I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, entirely yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Oof. 30 Rock, in retrospect especially, really seems like a show that was high on a false sense of Obama-era exactly. confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, Doesn't we it? have a black president now. We can make any type of like comedy show we want to. Racism is over. We're in the liberal future. We've solved everything. Like, everything's good. Mm-hmm. You know? Jack Donaghy is a Republican that we don't really mind being around. Right. He's a harmless old grandpa. We can all laugh at him. Yeah. Yeah. Different mm-hmm. time. That no show. way could you make that show today. Ooh. No way. He's so Trumpy, and he's just a a teddy bear, and it's fine. It's like, oh, he's out of touch and racist. It doesn't matter, though. We've already solved all the problems around him. We've given him this safe world where he's just bouncing around Mm -hmm. with bumpers on, and nothing will actually Which is so funny because Veep is on to... Veep is incredibly cynical about American culture, and I think had its finger on the pulse of what was going on, in a way that 30 Rock mm. never could and, like, never would. And obviously, it's some of it's due to, like, the subject matter itself. Yeah, the thing is, Veep, I agree. I think Veep is also the kind of show that wouldn't exist anymore because it was... A documentary? 
those yeah yeah it was it was it was taking thin cross sections of different levels of liberal incompetence and how ridiculous and annoying mm -hmm. that whole side of it was and now it's like that's just not a relevant concern no, not anymore. at all not you know all. we've all been radicalized <laughs> to the point where it's like oh yeah give us the liberal president whose brain doesn't work just 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 so that we can keep the republic together for another four yep. years you know? yeah so it was so weird i was what yeah it was those two shows i watched an episode of both maybe about a week and a half ago and then it reminded me of a time when, uh, remember that show, House of Cards? There was like a brief moment where it might have been good. <laughs> oh, and then yes. it just like flushed itself oh, yes. down the toilet. Uh, so, yeah, I put that question to you. Do you have any specific shows, maybe not The Sopranos because we've already talked about it, but specific shows that remind you of like eras in the culture? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, Star Trek The Next Generation is such a emblematic show of sort of that 90s end of history utopian thinking mm -hmm. where it's like we've gotten to the point where we can rationally solve all conflicts you know and and captain picard seems like such an idealistic figure this guy who could just come in and essentially diplomatically work his way through any situation and deal with the most irrational people and and figure things out that's just not a kind of drama that you would see anymore no not at all like you look at star trek discovery today and the captain on that show michael burnham yeah suggest committing genocide mm -hmm. in the first episode mm -hmm. while crying mm -hmm. and she's a vulcan and not just any vulcan she's literally like spock's half sister mm -hmm. she is directly related to the most iconic vulcan from this series and she's the most emotional star trek character ever and she's taking these wild swings but it's just like that's the narrative that that gets greenlit these days is the high emotion high drama serialized thing i think when they started making that show they were like we want to make a game of thrones type show in a star trek universe and yeah so so the stakes are just completely different you know you have to have lead characters making horrible terrifying decisions and to me it's like well you're just not making star yeah, trek you're just making case, a completely you know? different show with Star Trek clothes yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I think about the Enterprise D. It just, it looks like the lobby of a Radisson hotel, mm. you know? Literally every surface in that ship is carpeted, and all the carpet is beige. And everyone, they're just a bunch of adults who have their shit figured out. That's just not something you would ever see anymore. All right, TNG. That's that one definitely you. sticks in my mind. I don't know why, but it's like, science fiction always sticks out to me so much as a really direct mirror of our culture. Mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. it's funny how creators in looking forward are always really, really getting at our current day obsessions. Cause it's like, to me, the original Star Trek is the most sixties show of all time. Mm -hmm. You watch it now and you're like, this is just such a potent document of 60s thinking of 60s culture in the way that it's approaching this sci-fi landscape and i think of like ronald moore's Battlestar Battle Galactica, absolutely and that is the most 2000s show ever that show is completely haunted it's a very 9-11 show it right? is it's just it's just haunted by all of the shit that we were dealing with and i feel mm -hmm. like it sums that up symbolically better than 
dude. Any other all right. Show of the so yeah. yeah, I'm just going to put this out here. Mm-hmm. I think Severance might be the show that captures the anti-work movement. Yeah. And just the post-quarantine, what is work anymore? What is what is our life? What are we mm-hmm. trading away for what sense of security? Wow. I still have not gotten caught yeah, up. Yeah, I know you haven't. I've been watching anime, man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll say one thing, man, about it. It's It's kind of a beautiful thing. In anime, there is none of this impulse to just constantly remake the same shows and the same ideas and the same genres over and over. Every anime that's a huge hit is a completely new thing that has no connection to... I mean, they they all have genres and they all have their tropes and things like Mm -hmm. that, but there's just so much willingness to step into a completely new world Mm -hmm. with new IP and new characters, and I really appreciate that right now. That's fair, yeah. I I appreciate... (laughs) Yeah, I could see why you might get behind that. And I mean, yeah, what what better example of that than the show we're about to talk about, right? Yep. You know, We're doing this? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. We are finally back. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host. His music dance experience has been canceled recently. Mr. Alex Sinesi, how you doing, dude? My music dance experience. Oh, you don't even know. Oh, you don't even know. I don't know. Oh, you don't even know, my man. You're not even, you are blissfully unaware. You are blissfully unaware. Yeah. Just wait until you find out what that means. Oh, God. One day you will. Yeah, no, I'm going to find out and be horrified. No, you'll be, you'll be very happy. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, no, you will be, you might actually be sad. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. As long as I'm not disgusted. Right. No, you definitely won't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You might okay. be angered, though. So today we're talking about one of our favorite television shows. Again, we're talking about uh, some of the most influential TV in the culture. It took us like, what, two, three months to come down to this one to really choose the right show? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, listeners. We're we're Western boys. We don't understand how... Japanese animation works as an industry. There's a whole bunch of incredibly esoteric and opaque shit to do with it, with the making of this show that we just, we we are not privy to. And so I think there was always an insecurity on my part of how are we going to dig in, you know? How are we going to dig in beyond just our outward feelings about this? But I, I just kept coming back to it as like, this is what I want to talk about. This is a great season. I want to very specifically say I think holds its own with the great seasons of dramatic television in the West that are so often like held up as masterpieces. Certainly. This is right there with them. And it's a television show. It's not in any way in terms of its release, its format, that radically different. I mean, it's it's a dramatic show about adults dealing with themes of loneliness and existentialism and all the kinds of things that other shows that are, you know, lauded as the greatest dramas ever cover. Only, you know, this one also has martial arts and spaceships and just an unbelievably banging soundtrack. And it's like all kinds of other things about it that so many shows don't even bother with. And I'm like, how could these detract from it in any way? How could these not be just advantages that this show has? Man, so... 
today we are going to be talking about Cowboy Bebop. That's that's not the is it just the coolest thing that ever happened? It's it's up there. It might be. It's like right up there with pizza. It kind of stands in contrast to what we were just talking about too. How sci-fi is so timely and it also becomes a living document of the era in which it was created. Mm -hmm. But Cowboy Bebop is sort of the exception in that it is like all time, all genres, all culture just fused together. And the one vector point is just, is it cool? Is it cool as shit? Because it's going to all get combined into this. And it's just... (laughs) distilling down the cool parts until it's this one hyper-concentrated brew. So I will have to admit that as we're going through this show, anime is not quite, it's not, it has not always been my jam. And so there are definitely a few that I have enjoyed over the years. And I know you have enjoyed more of them than I have. But I, yeah, what wow. are your, what are your, that sounded yeah, like you, an accusation. You feel attacked, don't you? You feel attacked. You took that personally. You just, you just put a little spin on it. Yeah, no, you have watched more than I have. That's all, that's Not all it is. Not just that I've watched more, but that I've enjoyed more. It's like, you enjoyed it, you fucking Right, weeb. I watched. <laughs> you pervert. I've only, I've watched a fair amount and then I've been like, hmm, I don't know if I enjoyed that. But I appreciate the art form in and of itself. So uh, yeah, what are your top? What are your top three animes? Oh my god, that's that's so tough, dude. I mean, Cowboy Bebop's number one, and uh-huh. it's kind of a boring answer. I mean, it's basically like the Citizen Kane of anime at this point. It's on the sure. top of so many lists, you know, that it's tough. But I mean, Death Note to me is way up there. Okay, it's just kind of hard to deny. It's so beautifully written and directed Mm -hmm. i think it's it's easily a candidate for a goat season as well okay that one's so long though i think it's like 50 episodes anyway but yeah death note and then like picking a third is super tough on the one hand i want to say like flcl which is just one of the most fun innovative crazy anime ever it's just about like adolescent horniness and awkwardness and yet it's portrayed through all these wildly different animation styles and it's so so good but it's also only like six episodes so it's like well yeah of course it's perfect it's so short and concentrated and it's it's a little mini series i mean on the other hand there's evangelion which i love so much but it's also ava's kind of ungainly and weird and there are 10 different versions of the ending at this point but i mean there's nothing like Evangelion. It's insane. It's insane that that ever happened. And so that would be up there. I mean, Paranoia Agent is right up there. Paranoia Agent is so surreal and disturbing and exciting. And uh, Satoshi Kon, the creator, did um, Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress and a bunch of other really great, really acclaimed anime movies. But I think his series might actually be his strongest statement ever. And he passed away very young Uh, so it's like he only has this small concentrated filmography in one series and and i don't know man i mean like my mind is racing okay i it's so hard to narrow it down uh gurren lagan you're just gonna be starting naming animes is what this is right dude gurren lagan's so dope okay so gurren lagan what i love about that show that might be my third honestly it's so much fun it's Something I would describe, I I think this can only happen in anime. It's a sincere parody. Gurren Lagann is a 
ridiculous show about giant robots fighting each other, but it is so aware of its tropes, and it's so aware of how ridiculous it is, and it's also so emotionally invested in its characters. It's such an emotional show. It brought me to tears, oh, wow. this show. It's okay. so fucking good. Right. But it also climaxes with two robots that are so large, they are literally picking up galaxies and throwing <laughs> them at each other. Right. And the show knows how <laughs> okay. ridiculous it is, okay. you know? It's absurdist, oh but we are buying into the absurdity whole lot. Anyway, so yeah, what are what are your top? I feel like mine. Yeah, this is gonna be, it's like Phil, yeah. it's just mine are so boring. Blank screen, <laughs> like long pause. I have to pick two others that I actually enjoyed. No, no. Oh boy. All right. Okay, so no, here we go. Okay, no, mine are super boring and very traditional because that's just how I am sometimes. Phil is not boring and traditional, listeners. He's just being um... a jerk. He's just being a grumpy old man right okay. now. Okay, well, that is also who I am. Yes, um, but that's who so, you have always yeah. been. I'm not accusing you of <laughs> growing true. into that. See, now, <laughs> now I feel attacked. Anyway. Okay, so, all right, at the top is definitely Cowboy right, Bebop. Sure. I love it. I love the mishmash, all of the just squishing together, just like a, making just a stew. Yes. It's just like Carl Weathers in Arrested <laughs> Development telling you of all about all of the ingredients from catering that he puts into his stew to get a stew going <laughs> and it has all of my favorite things westerns spaceships jazz gunfights karate film noir all of it is all in the same show can't believe it it's great yes. love it and i'm gonna say maybe the rest of these aren't in any sort of like order of importance or sure, anything like sure. that i just enjoyed them and you know <laughs> i think you you saw me watch this one uh, or be introduced to this one, which was One Punch Man. I thought you were going to go with that. Yeah. Yes. Dude, I have to give a shout out to my boy Saitama. <laughs> I love the concept, right? This is a superhero who has gotten so bored. His existence means almost nothing because he can defeat any monster, any opponent, any adversary with literally one punch, right? And so he's literally like Charlie Brown walking around. <laughs> he's Charlie Brown in a cape. Or Doug Funny. He looks a lot like Doug clueless. Funny, too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one assumes anything about him. He's very uh, unremarkable. He has got no flash. He's got no, he's got no game whatsoever. There's nothing cool about this guy. Um, but he is like the most powerful being in the universe. <laughs> It's true. He's so uncool. It's like a disguise. It really is. <laughs> He's completely hidden from any sort of assumption that he might be powerful just yep. by the way he stumbles around bored you know the first series where they're just like he's like i guess i'm gonna like sign him to be a superhero and everyone is just kind of looking at him like who are you you're not a superhero you don't even look cool i love that too the bureaucracy of superheroes that completely bogs him down and he just gets lost in the shuffle despite being the most powerful being ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. so good it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. That show's sense of humor, I feel like, lines up with you mm -hmm. so well. Because it's it's all of these characters with these insanely overwrought backstories. And it doesn't matter. They just get their fucking heads punched yeah. off in one second. And it's yeah. like all of that build up for nothing. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, my favorite one is when he uh, destroys 
one of his adversaries uh, because he was late to the farmer's market and he got upset about it. <laughs> My favorite episode. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay, okay. And then like Akira, obviously. You can't oh, go sure. wrong with that. It's fascinating. It's groundbreaking. That's uh, seminal work there. And then I have to go with uh, another really, really boring choice, which is uh, The Ghost in the Shell. Okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like that one. I mean, mm-hmm. the mood of Ghost in the Shell is so yeah. But so you had to go with features, though. Yeah, you I did. You don't even have another series. I don't really have too many other. Like, like, I've seen, like, Attack on Titan, and I could never really get into, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm trying to think. Um, and I've never, and I didn't even watch Evangelion. Again, my, my exposure is limited, so I'm coming at it sure, uh, with sure. with some blinders on. Do you um, rank the Studio Ghiblis in there at all, or are they just kind of a whole separate thing? They're kind of a whole you? separate thing for me. I know. I, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. I yeah. really do. So, like, for the purposes of this series, we're going to be bunching our uh, episode reviews and our discussion um, in a way that we haven't uh, before. So instead of talking about two episodes per podcast, we're actually going to be talking about uh, usually about, like, what, four to five. Four to five episodes. Yeah. Five for the first two sessions and then four for the rest. Yeah. Because this is how Cowboy Bebop was originally released on DVD. And even though Cowboy Bebop's a very famous example of an anime blowing up on television and actually having a really, essentially like a, a huge debut that ended up defining a network. The thing with anime is that generally the physical release would be the thing mm-hmm. for the longest time. When we were coming up at least, very little anime was released in theaters and also very little of it was playing on television. So for the most part, you would just hear about an anime, you might see stuff about it on the internet, and then you would have to go purchase very expensive DVDs to watch it. And I think this is what sort of slowed down our anime exposure and made us be like, all right, so I've heard that Evangelion is one of the greatest anime ever, so I will take the gamble on buying one $30 DVD with five 20 minute episodes on it and just see if that's the shit. And it would have to be that good that it would get you to keep coming back and buying the DVDs. I mean, the DVDs for Cowboy Bebop were ridiculously expensive. I think they cost like $40 a pop and they released like a box set of the whole season, which is a season of 25, 20 minute episodes. It's a pretty normal season length for a show which these days you could pick up any number of you know american half hour tv shows at best buy in a box set for i don't know 15 20 bucks at the most something like that this this box set cost 200 dollars okay jeez yeah so it's like it was a very expensive habit oh yeah to be into anime at the time and so you really had to like you had to invest yourself ahead of time and then these anime dvds would come out and they oftentimes had a long long gap between the release of volumes because they were still translating it the dub was still being produced so you would get a dvd every few you know it would be months in between releases of Mm -hmm. these little batches of episodes so you're really hanging on them and hanging on the structure by which the dvds was set up and 
I mean, obviously, all that's kind of irrelevant today. Uh, streaming. These days, you know, <laughs> everything's streaming. You can watch so much anime. I was poking around Funimation's streaming app, and it's mind-boggling. The amount of anime that's on there. The amount of shows that I was sort of, like, tangentially aware of 15 years ago. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll get around to that. But, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to cost me, you know? I'm going to have to drop, like, a rack just to, like, watch all of these shows that I'm interested in. That's absurd. And so, so many of them I just never caught up with. And now they're just all online. They're just all online streaming. You got the sub and the dub. You don't even have to, like, worry about buying one versus the other. Anything like that. It's just all out there. Easy and convenient. But that was the thing. I came back to this and I was like, the problem with Cowboy Bebop is that these episodes are so short And yet, they are all so distinct in their tone. The show can completely change genres from one episode to the next. It doesn't really make sense to pair a lot of these episodes together. Doing each one individually would mean we would be covering this show for 24 weeks. But I looked at it and I was like, oh, the first DVD, episodes one through five, what a perfect unit of the show that is you're going from the incredible pilot through a couple introductory episodes to the first episode where you really get into some backstory where you get some more dramatic stuff where characters start to really emotionally get on on edge with each other and the stakes are really raised for the first time and i was like man that just feels so good as like a first batch to talk about. And I was yeah, like, makes yeah, sense. let's just do it. Let's just do the DVDs. What do you think? Looking at that, episodes one through five, doesn't it kind of cohere together in an odd way? So the first one through five, when I was looking back through them and watching them, yeah. it clearly is like the establishment of the two main characters and like the assembling of the Bebop crew, basically. That's mm-hmm. the sense that I got. A little bit of backstory. You're introduced to Spike and Jet the data dog, Ayn, and then, you know, Faye Valentine. I mean, I think Ed shows up a little bit later. But yeah, like, those are the four main characters that you're going to be following, and you get all of them, plus, like, a spike-heavy episode towards the end in episode five. So yeah, that, that is definitely a chunk, so to speak. It does feel like a unit, which is surprising when you think about it. Yeah, that it was released that it way. It is weird, yeah. Anime so oftentimes will pull from visual tropes to just sort of give you a quick idea of who a character is or or sort of what their deal might be and an example of this i think that cowboy bebop leans into is taking inspiration from this show uh loop on the third which is a huge franchise that's been going for i think over 50 years now like it started in the 60s and a brand new Lupin series started mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. So like they've just never stopped <laughs> with this. Right. <laughs> but um uh Lupin was based on this French character from like crime novels actually called Lupin Arsène who was a gentleman thief, thief yeah. kind of a cat burglar character yep. and he got transformed in this anime into this sort of like anarchic robber who's constantly being like chased around by police mm-hmm. and he's very much a visual inspiration for Spike Spiegel. Interesting. He's uh, very lanky and he wears these sort of tight-fitting little suits and he has like a skinny tie and he just, he very much has a lot of the vibe of Spike and he's uh, great at fighting. And then you look at his partner, Jigon, who is so obviously Jet. Mm -hmm. Like he has the big 
sideburns mm-hmm. and he wears shades a lot and he wears a fedora and he's just sort of grumbly and smokes a lot and he's kind of the grumpy gruff partner he's actually based on um james coburn in the magnificent seven oh that's awesome was a really interesting weird thing that that's where his sort of visual cue comes from because then like jet is sort of a mutation of him that takes it further away kind of it's really interesting how that happened spike and jet very much feel like they took those characters that people who are really familiar with it's almost like an adaptation of kirk and spock but they took these characters who were in fairly like simple kind of freewheeling ridiculous adventure stories and they really deepened them and made them a lot grittier a lot more detailed and gave them a lot more backstory just gave you a sense that both of them have been through a lot of stuff so much more you know they're rougher around the edges they have a lot of shit they've been dealing with so you're talking about how they just restarted lupon and but mm-hmm. netflix has both rebooted cowboy bebop and then also did their own version of lupon um, a live action version that is inspired by the 60s character which i thought was kind of interesting so i'm not even sure the Lupin Netflix show might actually be based on the French novels and uh, not the anime at all. And yet, there's no way that they didn't greenlight it, knowing that would it would pull in people who yeah. liked the anime, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's such a weird thing. And then I guess the only other thing about Lupin is just that the second Lupin movie was the debut film of Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, okay. That's how his career got Interesting. started. Was he made The Castle of Cagliostro. And the funny thing about it is that he actually tried to humanize the characters a lot more. And so the like much more softened, less misogynistic, less just outwardly gross versions of those characters are now the most famous ones by far because the loop on thing that people watch the most is me right movies, you know wow i mean okay hold on just look at this yeah. so yeah the netflix show Lupin. it's so it starts omar sai and the role of a son diop a man who's inspired by the adventures of master thief okay all right so he's uh so it is, is like, yeah it's doing the, the same, same exact thing that the uh-huh. anime yep. did oh it's this guy who's kind of related uh-huh. to the guy yep. from the <laughs> why is why is everyone <laughs> obsessed with this loop i have no guy? idea why now is i feel like i have to watch this this is my <laughs> path to becoming a thief <laughs> exactly. you know is <laughs> choosing the name of this super famous thief uh so it's like i'm gonna go live a life of crime my name is now john criminal no one's gonna see this coming you know what i mean oh boy it's a bad idea it is it is john thief good you know (laughs) like what what are you doing (laughs) but uh yeah cowboy bebop it came into anime at such a strange time it almost doesn't even matter like the context into which it landed because Cowboy Bebop is so singular. So few shows since Cowboy Bebop have even tried to do what yeah. it did. Like, I think there have been more Western shows that were directly inspired and influenced by Cowboy Bebop than anime, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. When it debuted, it was the late 90s. It was kind of this time where anime still had this sort of like very violent grindhouse kind of themes that became huge in the 80s and that was sort of the anime that came over 
to America a lot was this sort of like more illicit mm-hmm. specialty genre anime. This these oh, yeah. really perverted yeah. cartoons that you know were oh, yeah. back by the porn section in your like rental stores or whatever. You know, it was like yeah, yeah, we're gonna make you feel weird about watching these animations. They had commercials for sort of a anime like tapes by mail service. It was sort of like the memberships where mm-hmm. you would get a record every mm-hmm. month, only it was an anime tape. And all of the commercials were like, anime is cartoons grown up oh, wow. and gone yeah. wild, you know? And it's very, it was basically like they were trying to sell you some <laughs> sort of pornography, essentially. Even though these weren't pornographic shows. No, all, they're not you know? I mean, no. they had some, some very suggestively drawn and characterized female characters sure i mean that would always pop up but it's not like these shows were just just hentai or something they were mostly about schoolgirls transforming into monsters and shooting lasers at mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. So it's just really funny that they were marketing it at two in the morning to like horny <laughs> sort of like... adults who were ordering tapes oh, in the mail. Oh god. Uh Gross. But anyway, so you get past that era and all through the 90s, I really look at the 90s as sort of a transitional decade where a lot of anime genres were were maturing and were deepening and were getting kind of weird. You would have things like the dominance of Dragon Ball Z, which is this incredibly sophomoric martial arts show that's literally just about dudes powering up, getting like as jacked as possible right before they punch each other, only... It became this very convoluted and complicated and violent epic out of that. You know, it was building on this very basic idea because Dragon Ball had been around since the 70s. But it it took it to this point where it was like, this is operatic now. Yeah. Or you had like Evangelion, which is one of the greatest bait and switch shows ever in terms of its concept you would look at the first episode and if you just watched a little trailer for it you'd be like this is about a 12 year old boy learning how to pilot a giant robot and it's like well yeah yeah, but but this is actually a show about how uh, human beings want to usurp God's will and also that his father has made this robot that's really a clone of his mother and so it's literally that he's able to pilot it because her genetic material is inside of him and he's like inserting himself back into his mother's womb and there's all sorts of psychosexual trauma and craziness around it and it just becomes such a wild show from this very pitched at 15 year olds kind of a premise evangelion is that classic show that hit so many young american teenagers where we're like oh this seems cool and then we're like whoa all of these themes (laughs) i can't hold them all in my brain there's too much stuff this has become too adult. Uh, it's so good, though. It's I mean, there's nothing like it. It's crazy. And so then, you know, you have Cowboy Bebop come out. And Cowboy Bebop was literally, like, there was no anime genre for Cowboy Bebop. It was completely unclassifiable when it came out. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere. And there's nothing like it. It's the fucking best, man. It's crazy. It's weird to say it's not that influential, but I think so many anime were like, well, we're not following that up. We're not even going to try to do something like that. (laughs) This was made by a madman. (laughs) That's a great opening to talk about Shinichiro Watanabe. Yeah. So, I mean, he's like the series director of Cowboy Bebop. 
He's working for the anime studio Sunrise in like in the 80s. He worked on, yeah, Gundam 0083, which is a really a solid Gundam series. I think it's a little overrated by the fan base because it has such good mech designs and such good animation. The story is like whatever, but the animation's incredible. And I think that was just like an early sign of his talent. And then he made uh, Macross Plus, which was a reboot of Macross, also known as Robotech. And that was his first big directorial effort. And Macross Plus is pretty fucking good. I mean, for a long time, I think people considered it to be like one of the classics of anime. You don't hear that as much anymore, I feel like, just because there's been so much great anime in the past decade and Mm -hmm. so much great new animation. For a long time, it was kind of like a highlight of animation quality of all time because it's just, it looks unbelievable. But yeah, but Macross Plus was like a very strange story about a pop star who was an AI who essentially hijacked a super advanced drone fighter and these two pilots had to go take it down with just their human intuition and their their human operated jets and so it's a man versus machine thing the two main characters uh isamu and gold look a lot like spike and jet okay like one of them is a really wiry kind of goofy dude who's also like really really lucky and good at everything he does and the other guy's kind of big and burly and gruff I mean, already, like, you've, you sense the obsessions there. Uh, Yoko Kano did the music, and, like, that's the thing about Macross Plus. It's a pretty good movie, but, like, anytime her music is highlighted in a scene, it becomes amazing. Amazing, yeah. And so it was him working with a bunch of his collaborators. It was him working with Kano. It was him working with the woman who would be the head writer on all of Cowboy Bebop. I think it's Keiko Nubimoto. Yes, thank you. So they both collaborated again on that. And uh, I think that once he had that team in place and he had this success with Macross, which was very big, it was originally an OVA, which means it was like a direct-to-video release and it came out in installments on DVD. Okay. And then it was so popular that way that they actually recut it into a two-hour-long movie and released it in theaters, which happens a lot with OVAs. It's like if one's really big, they'll re-release it theatrically. Gotcha. And so on, on the basis of that they all decided to get together and make this project that was something completely new, completely out of the box, just their own obsessions. You know, a real auteur piece of television, honestly. I mean, the thing that I thought was so interesting is that, yeah, so he has this brain trust that he is leading. Yeah. They go on to start to create Bebop. The pilot, the thing that I thought was so interesting was that they're making these early batch of episodes, and I believe I just I was reading somewhere where what is it Bandai the entertainment company that had like its own like subsidiary that produced toys mm-hmm. Bandai was thinking or hoping for Cowboy Bebop to be a show that they could use to sell you know toys spaceships dogfighting you know in outer space that sort of thing they see the pilot and they think oh no this is not what we signed up for. And the show is sort of dead in the water for a little while until they're picked up by, I guess, like a sister subsidiary, which I think is, I don't know if it's Sunrise, but it's... It was Bandai Visual. It's a Bandai Visual. Thank you, yeah. just production of anime. I think especially for like the home video market. Bandai's bread and butter was 
Gundam. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing about Gundam is that it's this kind of, you know, mature, very hard sci-fi military show, but it also involves giant robots. And so there were always toys that they could sell. Toys to sell. There is nothing about Cowboy Bebop that you can sell straight off of the pilot. Right, right. I mean, that was the thing. They said, yeah, fine, you can make it if you put some spaceships in it. And he's like, okay, so there's going to be spaceships. The ugliest spaceships. (laughs) Exactly. They're not even cool. (laughs) The Bebop is a piece of crap. (laughs) It's not like Spike has a cool starfighter, and that is it. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's like. The Bebop is a piece of junk. It's not even as cool as the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> no, no, it's a fishing trawler. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it smells bad. It does, it's, yeah. Yeah, and it's the story about drug use and suicide, and it's mm-hmm. very mature. And I think that's what freaked Bandai out more than anything. They were like, oh, we can't even pretend that this is a show for kids. No, not at, at all. all. Not you at know, all. The tone of it is just so different. Yeah. It's all about sad characters looking off longingly and thinking on their regrets. You know, that's the yeah. inherent yeah. vibe of this show. And I just, I don't think they could easily fit that into a, a merchandising plan. No, no. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The release of Cowboy Bebop was so botched as well. It kind of reminded me of... Firefly, which Mm. I think is a show that took a ton of influence from Bebop. Mm -hmm. No question in my mind, Joss Whedon watched the show and was like, yeah, I'm going to make something just like this. Mm -hmm. It was set to air on Tokyo TV, one of the big networks, and basically they pulled almost every episode due to violent content. Wow. So I think they played episodes two, three, seven, and then like... 15 through 18 something very random like that but they just played like a smattering of episodes out of order they didn't play the pilot they you know just skipped all over the place then essentially they wrapped it up with a clip show that was just the characters explaining what might happen after that so yeah so they completely like botched that release it only was really released on a satellite network in japan so a more like specialty channel and then i think it was the bigger hit on 
home video, but honestly, the show was never like a gigantic hit. No, not at all. And Mm -mm. it was really, really expensive too. If Mm -hmm. you look at the animation and you're like, this show looks amazing, especially compared to other anime coming out at the time. There was just nothing with this level of detail, with this sort of incredibly smooth animation. And uh, yeah, so they put a lot of money into it and they didn't really see a return, I think, until it started getting released in In the United States States and abroad. Yeah. 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 So do you want to just talk about the pilot? I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's yeah, it's my favorite part. So well, the pilot is called Asteroid Blues. It's great. I mean, so what? It's released on October. Is it October? No, 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 no. So it's it doesn't come out until it's released in, the in US. September. Yeah, 2001. you're right. Two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's right. Okay. And that was a whole thing because in the U.S. also episodes were cut. Yeah. Not as many. They they didn't play three episodes because. They all had imagery in them that was too close to 9-11. Reminiscent of 9-11. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, okay. the show just came out right at that time. No, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's probably one of my favorite episodes. So it is uh, an introduction to Spike Spiegel, to Jet Black, the Bebop. Uh, so you've got these two bounty hunters. They're incredibly poor. They're down on their luck. They don't ever get a bounty, despite being particularly efficient. Which actually makes me wonder, are they good bounty hunters? Because they never seem... To ever catch a bounty. No, they they clearly aren't. It's almost like they have the worst possible combination of talents to right. be bounty hunters. Because they're obviously incredibly skillful, but they're also lazy yeah. and easily distracted, easily distracted and disorganized. Yeah. And I feel like those are the things you need exactly. to be a good bounty exactly. hunter. You need like persistence and organization. Yeah. You don't need to be incredibly nimble, you <laughs> Not know, in the moment. So, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, the two of them are going after this guy named Asimov Solinson. Mm. This guy is, has stolen a large quantity of like this drug. He's taking this drug and then he... He's selling it as well. I love that they were like this incredibly intellectual, genteel, pacifist science fiction writer. Yeah. We're going to make him a drug addicted, yeah. petty criminal who injects chemicals into his eyeballs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's so crazy. So, it's Salinson. He's on the run. He has his uh, girlfriend, Katarina. And in tow along with him she's basically the his only tether to reality at this point yeah and she's nine months she pregnant, appears nine months pregnant oh, it's such yeah. a i mean of course yeah. she's not really but it's it's such a great threat this really sad family unit you know that you immediately get and and it just it immediately gives you such emotional stakes and then when you realize that she's actually basically just like a mule for drugs yeah and you're uh, like it's upsetting it's yeah i tell you oh man this episode really it's somber man just emotionally the ending the ending okay like let me just okay so the ending is like all right spike decides that he's going to chase down asimov and chase down katarina asimov is paranoid he is high on this drug they're flying into outer space they realize that there's already law enforcement that are going to like chase them down asimov uh he in his state of being under the influence is going to try and break through the police barricade katarina realizes we are going to die this is it this is doomed and so she shoots him through the head and then the, the police they shoot down the spacecraft 
and it's brutal. Um, it's really, really yeah. sad. And then the episode ends with Spike and Jet uh, returning to being hungry on the Bebop. I remember the ending specifically because it's got Yoko Kano's score over Spike chasing them down. And it's like this really, really sad music. It's got this this jazz, this soft jazz playing over this chase scene, which is completely at odds with a spaceship mm -hmm. chase. It just hits you really, really hard. And I think it's because what is happening on screen is somber and upsetting and tragic, right? Like you're about to watch these two people get killed to a jazz score. Yeah, that sounds like something... It sounds like Miles Davis by way of like the Blade Runner soundtrack yeah. basically is the vibe of it. And it could so easily be this more upbeat sort of an action thing. And you're immediately like, no, they're undercutting this. They're they're setting this in mm -hmm. a minor key before it even becomes yeah. like truly tragic. I think that's such a good statement of intent yeah, from the show. I think so. Well, so did you hear that they got notes back from that pilot episode and they were like, this is too dark. You need to switch this up. Yeah. 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 I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's going for a really different tone from what I imagine people thought would be like an escapist <laughs> sci-fi thing. No, it's a murder-suicide. Yeah, I know. It's so brutal. Oh, it was something that struck me this time, too. I think I had always assumed that there was this giant police blockade for Asimov because he had caused so much trouble because he had murdered so many people and now the police were on his tail and yet I realized the asteroid they're on is called Tijuana, Tijuana. Yeah. and there are all of these police essentially blocking the exit and I was like this feels way more like a parallel of essentially border police like, uh, yeah mm -hmm. well yeah they throw that in there emigrate. too right like you they know? talk about how they want yeah. to get to Mars and how they've never been there before and how that's something that they're looking forward to right. so yeah you're absolutely they just right. love the idea they love the, of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, they love the yeah. idea of being there Spike is like yeah it's fine if you're rich and they're like well we'll be rich but they don't really they don't know they, they clearly haven't thought this through yep. and I, you get the sense from spike that he already knows that it's like no nah, you have to be part of a different class you won't be accepted mm -hmm. otherwise he just he kind of knows that they're trapped yep. you know very much so yeah Ugh. it kind of parallels with his backstory in a bunch of it ways does. too man yeah Ugh. yeah it's an amazing pilot it watching it again i'm like god this is one of the best pilots ever, ever? Mm -hmm. yeah i Hands really down. think so it's cool, too, because it really stands out from the other two pilots we covered. Both the Sopranos pilot and the Lost pilot, I would characterize as the sort of a first episode where we're going to give you a movie that introduces you to the idea of this show. And then we're going to have to create the series format mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. At the very least, we might just like suggest what the series format is going to be by the very end. But really, we're going to start, we're going to give you half of a movie and then the show is going to start after that. Yeah. Whereas Asteroid Blues is just an episode of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. It is just a standalone story that resolves itself within 24 minutes incredibly. Like that's another, I'm just like blown away by how efficient the storytelling is on this show mm -hmm. it gives you the tone it introduces the characters but not that mm -hmm. much you know it doesn't give you any sort of backstory yet it's just kind of you're with these guys on their first job that isn't even their yeah, first it's job definitely together. not they've it's been just together a for random some time. job yeah 
Yeah, yeah, it's just you're dropped into the middle mm-hmm. of everything, and it works so well. And it's like, yeah, we're just starting this show by giving you a standalone episode that's just an example of how good this can yeah. be. And you're immediately yep. hooked. I mean, I I was so taken with that versus so many first episodes we see these days, which are like, we're going to give you 15 minutes of plot and a bunch of table setting and just like very gradually introduce you to this world. And usually it's not even until like the second episode of a show that things start to really get yeah. cooking. Yeah, you know? I agree. That's a good point. I mean, the, the rest of the episodes, yeah. so you've got like Stray Dog Strut, which is like a huge 180 in terms of tone, um, in terms of stakes. Yeah, it's a very, very silly yeah. episode where Spike and Jet are just basically trying to find a guy who is like a pet thief. His name is Abdul Hakim. And he's very obviously like modeled on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, specifically in <laughs> Game of Death. Spike is a Bruce Lee analog. He practices Bruce Lee's style of martial arts, Jeet Kune Do, and all that. And so they tie in a visual reference to that. And I, I just love that the show is constantly wearing its influences on its sleeve. I love how there is this element of like 70s cinema, mm-hmm. sort of like black exploitation character tropes that come in here and there. It's sort of Tarantino-esque in the way that it's like, th- this show is just in love with the mm-hmm. history of cinema and wants to drop in things that will instantly make you think of five other movies yeah. or television yeah. shows. But yeah, it's a very silly episode. The stakes are super low. It's basically like the introduction of their dog, which doesn't even have to really happen. Like, why Why do we need to introduce a dog? They could just yeah, have a dog on the ship, but instead they have this spaceship. convoluted story yeah. where they get one. And it's a pretty funny episode. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's doing the other thing that Bebop does that I love, which is that it can really, really be incredibly dramatic and heavy. Mm-hmm. And then it can turn around and just mm-hmm. deflate all that and be like, nah, yeah. we just want to be And sick. it works. Yeah. I mean, it's not one of my favorite episodes, but it's also like, I love that the show's just immediately like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not going to be like at 11 in terms of the drama all the time. Sometimes it's just going to be goofy. It's just going to be goofy. Yeah. So I think they find like a good sort of groove and like honky-tonk woman, which is the introduction for Faye Valentine. And so you get like a little bit of a noir episode here, which I am a huge fan of. I'm a sucker for anything that's film noir, any good crime story. I love that. So yeah, you get like Spike and Jed deciding they're going to hit up a casino. They run into Faye, who's got like this chip that's wanted by the owners of the casino. And so they all get tangled up into this mess. And essentially what happens is Faye teams up with uh, the Bebop crew to oust the crime syndicate that owns the casino. Um, and then she gets away. So they again, they have a chance to, you know, catch a bounty. And then it just like slips right through their fingers. And again, they're once again out of luck. It's such a great theme on this show that they almost never successfully yeah. get mm-hmm. a bounty and that it usually goes wrong in the most spectacular way possible like almost everyone who is involved in the bounty itself paying someone for the bounty any they're all dead yeah like everyone involved <laughs> yeah. is just dead, dead by the end of the episode <laughs> and the bebop crew kind of has to slink off and be like uh, oh what a day exactly uh, <laughs> what so a bunch good. of shit we've been through <laughs> but um this episode's good in that you feel the characters being more solidified i really love how in this episode you get the sense that spike he's been through some shit he's kind of a tough guy but he's also still sort of an immature shithead 
you know Mm -hmm. he's still kind of this goofy kid who just kind of wants to like fuck off and not take anything seriously and jet is very much the dad oh clearly is very much the practical guy with real world experience who knows how shit is gonna go and just just wants things to run their course Mm -hmm. in the like expected way and then Faye is another like wrench in that because she's just completely unpredictable unpredictable and wanton and she just goes after what she wants she's just like pure impulse right there yeah she is she is it's this kind of great portrayal of a character where it's like she's obviously very attractive and she's figured out how to like get what she wants from any particular group of men and at a certain point she decided i'm just never gonna do anything except exactly exactly what I want that mm-hmm. in the moment mm-hmm. and not worry about the consequences yeah. and uh I, and it works for her it does i i really enjoy seeing a character like that who is just not bound up by sort of any any impulse control at all you know (laughs) so the next episode is i'd say it's probably my least favorite out of these five yeah and it's not a terrible episode it's just a weird episode where yeah the crew encounters like a group of like eco-terrorists and they realize that the leader of the terrorist cell you know has a bounty on them things go sideways and then they realize the bounty's dropped so they lose the bounty, not even at the end of the episode. It's during the middle of the episode. <laughs> um, but then they decide to be like good. That, they decide yeah. to be good people uh, and save the, you know, this space colony that's going to get obliterated by uh, this bioweapon. And they save the day. That's really it. Like, Faye rejoins the crew. They save the day by, you know, stopping this bioweapon from, what, like, converting or, you know, morphing all of these people into monkeys like that's what's going to happen in this uh that's what happens in the episode it's just so strange so strange yeah it's it's just kind of a another standalone caper and the show tries out a lot of different genres a lot of different styles of story within that mode and i would say they're all really entertaining like the show's never not entertaining and i find this episode pretty entertaining but i'm also kind of like this this doesn't really feel like it factors in which is so funny because like it and it doesn't utilize the characters as well as and the funny thing is like i'm coming at this from a serialized television perspective and we've been talking Mm -hmm. about serialized tv and this is an episode that ultimately if you take it out literally nothing changes but this is not a show that is uh, that has been formulated in that structure with that in mind, right? Where this is not a serialized narrative that they're trying to tell at all. No, it's not really concerned with serialization. No. And even the sort of serial narrative that's mostly about like Spike's backstory and his sort of past haunting him and catching up with him, which we get a lot more of in the next episode, all of that is so sort of just suggested. It's so kept under the surface. It's not the show's primary concern and i i see people complain about that sometimes where they're like uh vicious and julia they're not really like fleshed out as characters that much to me these characters are such like just Mm -hmm. signifiers of who spike is as a person it's not a show that's concerned with being character driven in that way especially about characters who are just sort Mm -hmm. of there to fuel Mm -hmm. his own backstory they're there to be pieces of iconography like everything Mm -hmm. else on the show 
You know, it's the the iconography of this beautiful woman who took Spike in after a gunfight and this woman who came between him and his best friend when he was a gangster. And it's like she is in and of herself a trope. Oh, absolutely. The show mines deeper emotions out of the characters and out of some of the story situations, but it's not. Uh, I, I think people are looking at it oftentimes, yeah, from too much of a serialized TV perspective. yeah. yeah. So you've got the following episode, which, like you said, is that's the the deep dive into Spike's backstory. It's one of the, I know it's probably your favorite, right? I don't know if it is okay. anymore. Oh, oh really? It's the, one of the ones I've seen the most. I definitely I think it was my favorite when I was younger. Okay. I'm curious to see. I think I'm going to have a totally different ranking for the episodes. Oh, on this well, rewatch. Okay. I can already All tell because right. there are a few episodes that have so stuck with me, too, that I just I could see like pushing this one okay. out but uh yeah i mean it's an awesome fucking episode it's so good the animation is unbelievable the atmosphere of it the music in this episode i mean the music in every episode is incredible mm-hmm. and we could spend an entire episode just talking about the songs that appear in these five episodes mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean i especially think of that song Greenbird as spike is falling out of the rose window of the church which is just one of the most surreal awesome moments from any tv show it's so crazy uh so it's like what the ballad of fallen angels and i think what happens is spike gets pulled back into his life of crime when he realizes that his mentor who was a crime boss uh, is assassinated by his rival whose name is vicious spike goes to confront vicious i mean it's like almost nothing happens um, except for like spike going to confront vicious it's very simple on the way yeah yeah, and like on the way there connects with like an old friend who i think maybe have been like mob adjacent so to speak yeah annie anastasia annie that's right exactly yeah what do you think her relationship with spike is Mm. i mean she seems like the the neighborhood neighborhood woman who is kind of like your grandma or maybe your aunt who is like trying to tell you to do the right thing but you're not going to listen to her because you don't want to do the right thing and because you're kind of, you know, an idiot. So that's the first thing that comes to mind to me. Yeah. I don't think she's like any sort of like familial relation at all or anything like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't I, think so. I think she kind of is. Interesting. Because that photo that she has on her desk with her and Mao when they were much younger, the third figure in that photo is Spike's dad. Like it uh, has to be. Hmm. It is an older character with them while they are obviously younger who looks so much like Spike. Hmm. So my thought is that either she was married to Spike's dad or they had some kind of a relationship or they were just best friends. Yeah. But that she had a super close, emotionally intimate connection with Spike's father. Interesting. And to me, that is also why Spike was pulled into this life of crime to begin with at such a young age is that he had family ties to it but i'm just assuming that they never stayed they never stayed any of that there's just like an assumed connection and assumed affinity for one another and she seems to know a lot about him but i was just like that character looks way too much like spike for it to be a coincidence Hmm. okay yeah i'll be thinking about that one yeah on a rewatch for sure yeah so basically Faye gets kidnapped by vicious and his syndicate goons Spike has to go rescue her at this awesome abandoned gothic cathedral and one of the most incredible 
action scenes in any anime series breaks out. This amazing gunfight that climaxes in a katana versus gun standoff. Uh, it's so rad. Vicious throws Spike out of a rose window. He's falling with glass shards all around him. It's completely surreal. And it's intercut with these sepia-toned flashbacks to Julia. You're getting just bits and pieces of her backstory with Spike and Vicious out of order. You get the first glimpses that uh, Spike and Vicious used to be good friends, you know, firing guns back to back. And it's it's sad to see. You, you get the immediate loss that has transpired between them now and has led to this moment where they are uh, shooting and slashing each other and causing all kinds of grievous bodily harm, you know. Uh, before attempting to murder each other with a uh, grenade and a defenestration. And then the episode ends with this totally charming, offbeat comedic scene where uh, Faye just bashes Spike over the head with a pillow while he's mummified in bandages, you know, looking like a total just cartoon of an injured person. And, uh, yeah, it, it's it's hard to even really get across the energy of this episode, but it's just kind of an animation masterpiece, and I love it so much. So, yeah. Anything that just, like, pops out to you in terms of, like, the first five episodes, other than the fact that they're amazing? <laughs> yeah. The, the directing is so fucking good i was so struck by how every single edit is so well timed you either get this beautiful moment of pause or the action happens so quickly that it's really breathless and you feel like your eye can barely like take in all of the stuff that's happening on screen before it jumps to mm -hmm. another another moment you know the show is so visually mm -hmm. dense and that was something that struck me because i watched the show with subtitles this time which i've i've watched a few episodes with subtitles before but i almost always watch the dub of the show when i'm doing a cowboy bebop rewatch when i just feel like sitting down and watching cowboy bebop this is the only anime i would say this about too i watch basically all anime subbed but I love the dub yeah. of Cowboy Bebop so much. I think the English uh, language voice actors are absolutely amazing. And so watching it subtitled, I was like, yeah, there is too much on screen to even take in while also reading these subtitles. There's just so much visual information in this show. So I think that's part of the reason that the dub works so well for me. But I was also just struck by, I actually prefer the... English voice actors' performances mm. to the Japanese voice actors. Mm -hmm. I found that the actors who played Spike and Jet in the original Japanese are very good, and they they have a very good, like, sort of cool demeanor. But, for example, like, Steve Bloom playing Spike, he modulates his performance so well. He makes Spike goofy at times and then at other times he can have real menace mm -hmm. and a real like intensity or just a real sense of cool to mm -hmm. him and he switches up between those so well mm -hmm. you know i think there's an example where it's like you had this really incredibly experienced voice actor who had done so many different kinds of parts and he got to play this one character who sort of requires many different 
voices or many different like vocal tones mm-hmm. and i think he just nails all of them in asteroid blues that scene where he's talking with katarina spike is so charming so flirty and yet also the whole time is like yeah but i'm also gonna send you both mm-hmm. to jail i already know i'm a bounty hunter i'm here to make money and it's just he he just nails that sense of making this guy so charming and making their interaction just have little emotional weight to it while also he's like yeah but also i i'm gonna turn you in yeah do you think some of that is like culture bound as well because again, I don't speak the language. I don't speak, you know, I don't speak the language that it was originally released in. And so, there may be notes, there may be hints, there may be tones that I just don't pick up on because I'm not, you know, a native speaker in that way. There, there may be be subtleties to it. I do think he he modulates his performance more. Mm-hmm. I will say, I, I think the performances in the original language to me did feel a little bit more one note, Mm -hmm. but I, I agree too, that there are also like a bunch of, yeah, cultural, uh, references and inferences. And also, you know, the subtitle translation is usually pretty literal. Mm -hmm. We're probably not getting the real like music of the dialogue as it was originally intended. And I think the English dub definitely changes a lot of the lines and makes them, more localized more western but yeah but it's just it's just such a good fit for this show yeah I I would because agree. of all the genres that it's playing with too you yeah know, it just makes sense i am struck by their ability to so effectively world build in this show like the pilot yeah. itself i think does a very good job of establishing like oh okay the humans have colonized the solar system And there are certain places that you want to be in, and there are other places that you would rather not because they are hellholes. Just the the aesthetic of the show, the idea that, yes, you could be on a spaceship, and it could be a luxurious experience, but more often than not, you're going to be stuck in what is basically like a Mitsubishi of a spaceship, and it's not (laughs) going to be great. And the interior is going to smell bad, and there's going to be like something spoiled you know, in the carpet or whatever, and you're stuck on this spaceship and it's not a good experience. I just really, really like how they are able to give you sort of like short stories or short little uh, short little moments where, like, for instance, there's the three old men who are constantly either oh, drunk yes. or are like playing chess or checkers or oh, something like that, so arguing good. with each other, and they just pop mm-hmm. up throughout the show where they shouldn't be, honestly. Um, But somehow you're like, these three hobos have figured out how to get to Saturn or figured out how to get to Mars or whatever it is. And you're just like, oh, all right, that's kind of cool. But yeah, just I love the world building in this show, even just at the outset. It's really Yeah, something that struck me along those lines exactly is that one of the very first things you see the Bebop spacecraft do is go through a toll booth Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. get charged for driving from one asteroid to another essentially Mm -hmm. and it's just like yeah space has been commodified you think of space and a spaceship having the ultimate freedom to just go wherever it wants and it's like no no, no, you have your highways you have your particular places you go to and yeah they're gonna charge you along the way Mm -hmm. for the privilege of it and you have to have a certain amount of money saved up probably just to get around from one place to another and they're out of gas and they're out of food and just kind of miserable and it totally yeah the world building is so good and how it establishes 
that, you know, it's a far-flung future where the solar system has been colonized. Yeah, but it kind of sucks in exactly. the same way. Like, maybe that we shouldn't have done that, world right? Does. Exactly. Yeah. It's also just a trope that I love. I, this is just a weird obsession of mine, but I love any show, any movie, any piece of media at all that expands human civilization across the solar system and gives each planet sort of a different environment mm -hmm. a different vibe mm -hmm. like i played way too much destiny when that came out because that game was all about traveling to different planets in the solar system and they all kind of had a different culture you know yeah yeah but cowboy bebop does it so well ah what do you think about the native american character at the very big, like at the in the pilot it's yeah. it's kind of cringeworthy it's it is i, I don't it know is. i mean it's really tough to view some of this stuff through a modern lens with bebop there are definitely mm -hmm. cultural stereotypes racial stereotypes all kinds of mm -hmm. stuff like that inserted in cowboy bebop i would just say with Cowboy Bebop, the impression I always get is that this was a show that was making a lot of strides toward being more culturally diverse, including more different groups of people and humanizing all of them as much as it could. And I think there were certain places where it just sort of fell short and gave you a stereotype, yeah. but it's still, to me, it was still a step forward. I look at comparable, like other anime of the time, and in Dragon Ball Z, for example, there's a character who is literally just in blackface, mm -hmm. who looks like uh, like a little black Sambo doll, you mm -hmm. know, like a really offensive, like, ah, you see it and you're mm -hmm. like, that is just a racist symbol mm -hmm. that's thrown in there for comic relief, mm -hmm. you know? And I think of the characters on Bebop and it's like, there are stereotypes, but you feel like all of it is done with a lot more love and a lot more interest in different cultures it's wanting to sort of bring you more of the breadth of human culture yeah. as opposed to putting Playing it in for like racist yeah. jokes yeah 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 so i don't know what what was your perspective on that yeah it felt a little bit cringe on the rewatch and yet at the same time there's a part of me that says oh uh it, it is i don't know i i it, I don't, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It felt cringy to see it, and at the same time, it felt like it was attempting to replicate Western, like a, a scene out of a Western film with a cowboy interacting with a Native American character. Right, who's wise and mystical and all that. And so, yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. I, I find that particular element just a little half-baked in yeah. general. I don't think you need spike to be relying on some sort of omen or portent no. to like catch a bounty anyway no. and the other episodes kind of shy away from that they do bring this character back at other times but it didn't feel super well incorporated no. to me no, I, would I wouldn't say. say so no yeah any other sort of like last thoughts on this batch of five Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh i mean i guess it would just be remiss not to say like the action sequences on this show are so mm -hmm. good. The animation is so fluid. Every time, like, a ship moves or Spike uses his his martial arts prowess, it's done with such 
fluidity and care and it's just like mesmerizing to look at that was something that struck me about the gunfight at the end of episode five is that it's incredibly bloody and brutal and all of these people are dying and it doesn't shy away from that but it's Mm -hmm. also just like mesmerizing to look at like the movement on screen is so cool and because it's animation they literally can just show you every single thing happening in the absolute coolest way it possibly could so it takes this john woo you Mm -hmm. know like gunfight in a church and just sort of elevates it aesthetically even beyond yeah and uh so i just i just love watching all of that stuff i think watanabe is such a master of all of that the, the way that it comes out in the directing, you know, there are specific episode directors and Phil and I were sort of discussing this, how Watanabe may have had more of a executive producer role as we think of it in terms of Western TV. The show itself just says directed Watanabe. by yeah. Shinichiro Watanabe in every episode. It just puts that on it. But like, it's kind of hard to know where one's directorial sort of duties stopped and the others started with the storyboard artists, the animation directors, the episode directors. There there are many different credited roles. But I look at all of the episodes throughout and this through line is that they all have this same quality to them. They all have this fluidity of action, no matter who's directing a particular episode. And I feel like so that that has to come back to like Watanabe and his Mm -hmm. sensibilities and his aesthetic. Yeah, because it's just so well executed. Yeah, it is very clear from the beginning that they had a strong idea about what the show was going to be or what the show was going to look like, and that didn't really change. Yeah. The tone changed, obviously, because I think of like outside influences. But yeah, they had a very clear idea on what the show was going to be at the outset, and they knew right away that it could like accommodate so many different tones too. Because of, I think they're willingness to be flexible and fluid in the types of symbols or stories that they were going to use in their storytelling Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah. i love these first five episodes yeah they're (laughs) really good good. they're really good they uh this show i just it makes me so happy Mm -hmm. to watch it again it really really does yeah you know what time it is right yeah let's name some episodes wrap this up (laughs) i've kept you on the hook long (laughs) enough (laughs) <laughs> all right there was a long preamble to us starting this because we were just kind of in this position of being like oh, this show we love it so much but like how do we even start uh, talking about it and we've been hemming and hawing for so long uh, so, i hope we're able yeah, to do it justice yeah. uh, i appreciate your patience in all regards with this right, here we go all right third series name that episode here we go in this 12th episode of the third season of Battlestar Galactica, Apollo holds Samuel Anders at gunpoint. The Cylons fear that Adama will nuke their planet, and the human-Cylon standoff over the Eye of Jupiter continues. Grace Park submitted this episode for consideration of Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Interesting. Did she get a nomination, or she just... She just, just submitted, I believe, yeah. In? That's too bad. She was, she was amazing great. on this show. Yeah. So you said this is the 12th episode mm-hmm. of season yep. three? Damn. One word, seven letters. Yeah, this is this is getting into the middle of season three. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just kind of becomes a bit of a blur for me. Hmm. 
of Jupiter. Hmm. Hmm. Any any other hints about the title? So I think this was the first episode after their Christmas mid-season hiatus. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not sure I can give you too much else that's going to like give it away. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just little... a little hint about like what what the episode title refers to. Um, it might refer to a state of just intense euphoria. Hmm. Is it called like paradise? Mm, no. No. Uh, no. Nah. I given up. Yeah. All right. It's called rapture. Ah. Mm-hmm. ah. Yeah. 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 Season three. I... A lot happened in season three. That's all I will say. A lot happened in season three that I don't even remember. I haven't watched much of that show. I yeah, I did, but there was also a lot of like weird fucking around in the middle of season three. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was kind of a point in the middle where it felt like ah, maybe these seasons are too long. They don't quite know mm-hmm. where they're going, and then they really tied it back together at the end. Yeah, but like after the new Caprica arc, I remember season three getting a little kind of lagged a little. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. This season two episode of Atlanta features Cat Williams as Donald Glover's uncle who has taken his girlfriend hostage and has a very large pet lurking within his home. (laughs) I, of course, remember Cat Williams. Fuck. Oh, this is Robin's season. Yes, it is. It's so good. It's so good. Has, Has it come back? Oh, oh yeah, man. It's funny. I didn't even lead with this. It was just kind of like, I was thinking yeah. now, like by the time this you're, is out. You're just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, by the time yeah. that this is out, uh, Atlanta oh, will shit, have bro. been on. It literally has been like three episodes. I saw the first two when yeah. they came out on Thursday. Yeah. Oh, nice. What did you think? Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm, surprised. Mm-hmm. The show oh. delivers, man. It does not stop. Oh, man. Fuck, I'm trying to think. Okay, a little... Ah, a little hint about this. So one again. two words, two words, and it's the season opener. Oh, oh, it's um, it's not Florida man. It's not Florida man. You're close. It's um, yeah, it's uh, ah, shit. It's, it's alligator reference. man. It, there yes. you go. Ding ding yes. ding ding. ding. Yeah, I forgot. Pet yes, alligator. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So good. <laughs> He's got an alligator. In his home. I just kept thinking Florida man. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because it starts with the Florida man like sequence the, where the they're whole talking about all mm-hmm. thing where yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakeith is talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Florida man is a cultural icon, <laughs> a sort of Johnny Appleseed. It's um, so weird. I just, there's there's a drama about to come out, I believe, on Netflix called Florida yes, Man. Florida but man. It's mm-hmm. Not really about a Florida it's man. Not, it's weird. I don't get it. Oh, see, I thought it was about just, it was a collection of stories about things that had happened in Florida, like the crazy stuff that had happened in Florida. Mm. That's what I thought. I don't know. Oh, whatever. Maybe, I could be maybe. totally wrong. I just know they're, they they were shooting it in Wilmington, so I saw oh, okay. like, trucks around all over. Anyway. Oh, so they filmed Florida Man in Wilmington is what happened. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. What the fuck? I appreciate the last shot of Cat Williams running down the street. Uh, in his slippers he's amazing uh, he's awesome in that episode it's so cool yeah that clover like gave him a really good role for once he's so so good on that show yeah um all right last one here we go Mm -hmm. this season one episode of hannibal was directed by michael reimer 
during which a nurse is brutally murdered by Dr. Abel Gideon. Mm -hmm. Jack Crawford receives a voicemail message from a long-lost protege who may have discovered the identity of the Chesapeake Ripper. Okay. Is this Entree? Good job. Ding, 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 ding. Nice. Nice. There you go. Yes. I forgot that was Michael Reimer. That's crazy, because he did a lot of uh, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He directed, I think he directed the miniseries and the final episode, and like a bunch oh, of Oh, I didn't know that. Too. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Man. All right. <sighs> nice. Good job. Two nice. out of three, Hannibal man. season one, so good, too. It is. Oh, that whole man. show was amazing. Yeah, it really doesn't have a bad season. No, it, it doesn't. It three really good ones and then stopped forever. Oh. I guess. Don't break my heart. I mean, bro, can you believe that fucking cbs held on to the rights to make that clarice show instead like what the hell man is that show still on no it got or did they cancel it, it? okay yeah. yeah i mean i assumed it was bad i think it was alex kurtzman doing it really it's just yeah okay it's like, why what? would you yeah why bother? is he doing that also, does it surprise me that CBS would do that? No. No. Yeah, right. not at all. That's they want that a idea. real CBS move. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Come on yeah. now. We've yeah. seen what shows they have on that. <laughs> anyway, never mind. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to close that can of worms. Apparently, it's like Brian Fuller's just never allowed to make a TV show again. Mm-hmm. It's just illegal. Yeah. He's barred from TV production. He can hang around for a pre-pro and write oh, a bunch yeah. of stuff, mm-hmm. but no one's going to let him actually manage a TV never show again. Never again. Man. Oh, it's sad. It's really yeah. sad. Well, all right. So we talked about the first five of Cowboy Bebop. We're into yeah, it. Yeah, man. We'll be back next week for session two, which is episodes six through ten. So that is going to take us from Sympathy for the Devil through Ganymede Elegy. And it will also include Jamming with Edward. So it's another nice little contained unit with the introduction of the final member of the Bebop crew. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate all of you listening. If you want, you can uh, send us some email at goatseasonpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our Instagram at goatseasonpod. We hope you will follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating on Spotify, too, if you're not an Apple user. But we really appreciate that. It helps people find the show. And uh, I also just want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork, Josh Sullivan for our intro music, and Battlequake for our outro. And we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.